If you have a Bible with you this morning, open it to the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to be in chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17, uh, it's kind of, if you go to the center of your Bible and then go left, you'll find 1 and 2 Samuel, so find that. Um, To those who are watching online right now, we want to welcome you. Just quickly say we love it that you're here, and and thank you to the rest of us for sure for just making this a priority. Uh, I'm excited to share with you from the Bible today something that God has kind of been putting on my heart uh, even for the past, uh, in the past few months and even the, some of this will go into the fall as well. But today is a second, the second week of a four-part little um, study on a man of the, in the Bible named David. David was this famous king in Israel, in Israel's history, well-known Bible character. If you grew up in Sunday school or whatever your church version of that was, you would have heard about this man, David, at some point. Last week, just to kind of quickly get us on the same page, we'll go really quick, uh, we quickly looked at the first time that David shows up in the Bible. He's a teenager taking care of his father's sheep, and this prophet of God shows up and anoints him the future king of Israel. He's a kid, like a young teenager at the oldest, but this is messy because there's, there already was a king, and we're going to see that play out even next week uh, in a big way as King Saul, the current king, is going to attempt to kill this teenage kid, David, because David has been anointed king. And there's so much that we can learn from David. He experienced so many things, things that in, like incredible supernatural moves of God and supernatural moments, but also horrendous, difficult things, horrible mistakes that he made that caused pain in his life and, and hurt another people. Also severe emotional difficulty, living in fear and anxiety for seasons of his life wondering where God was and if God was even going to show up. How do we know this? Because we have, one of the cool things about David is like we have his journal. The book of Psalms, almost the first half of the book of Psalms is David's writing, his personal stuff where he is, he's writing songs to God and he's asking questions and he's writing all of this stuff. So we not only have the history when it comes to David, we also have his personal stuff, and it's an amazing study to be able to just kind of put some of this together. But understand this, the people in the Bible were real people that lived at a real time in history in real places, and we can learn so much um, from how they experienced God both in their highs and their lows. Uh, and, and so this morning, we're going to look at the most well-known story from the life of David, and that is the story of David and Goliath, man, you already knew it. This is so great. All right, that's enough of an introduction. Let's get to the Bible. Please stand with me all over this place, and we're just going to read together. This is 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to start in verse number 17 as well, and just read for a little while, and then we'll get rocking on this. So here we go. Verse 17 said, Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this FF, I don't know what that is, of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. Everybody say, bring the cheese. Yeah, you got it. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. 
Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse has directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. We're going to stop right there for now. Let's just pray together before we move on. God, we, we open up our hearts and our lives and our minds and just ask for you to truly uh, move and speak and kind of just even breathe on us right now. We are hungry for more of you, more understanding, uh, more knowledge, more, more and a better relationship with you. And so, God, we just pray for that, that you'd help us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. Let's go. All right, all right. Here we go. Uh, we often say the phrase, it's a David and Goliath type of situation, don't we? We use this in sports. We use this in all sorts of other places in situations like uh, 1954, uh, Indiana high school basketball. They made a movie on this called Hoosiers. Anyone ever see the movie Hoosiers? Let me set this up. Only 30 seconds on this because we got to move fast. This tiny rural school known as Milan High School defeats the mighty Muncie Central in the state tournament. Indiana basketball is unlike anything anywhere uh, when it comes to basketball. High school specifically, it is nuts. Uh, Muncie Central had won three of the four state tournaments, and the school enrollment was over 10 times that of Milan, okay? They were bigger, faster, stronger, deeper, more experienced. Nobody gave give this little tiny school even a chance. The other team was a powerhouse. This was a David versus Goliath game. It really was. Unexpectedly, tiny rural school defeats the giant uh, they come out with the movie. It's like it was amazing. 1980, USA Olympic hockey. Anyone know that story? Of course, some of you do. Uh, some of you were not alive yet, and that's okay. I was born that year. There we go. So they were pretty close. Okay. Uh, 12 of the 20 uh, USA hockey players were from Minnesota, if you didn't know that. That's pretty cool, huh? Uh, but they lined up against the mighty Soviet Union team that had won the previous four gold men medals. This was Russia's professionals against America's college kids in 1980, if you didn't know this. Okay? They were bigger, better, stronger, faster, more experienced. Three weeks before they played this game, uh, Russia defeated USA 10-3. Three weeks before, people didn't give America a chance, David versus Goliath situation. Somehow we won that game. Do you believe in miracles? Yeah, that's what they said at the end. That's, it's called Miracle on Ice. Some of you know what that is, all right? We have all sorts of David and Goliath type of things. We use this phrase, uh, situations. But listen, like there is no David and Goliath situation that even compares to the story of David and Goliath. All right, that's a funny way to say it. And so I'm gonna tell you this story, the story of David and Goliath, and then we're gonna make a few very relevant observations from this story. And 
as I was praying about this this week and, and putting some things together, I found myself going a completely different direction than I thought I was going to. And so I feel that, that, that for someone here today, for multiple of us today, uh, for someone watching online, like this is significant for you. And, and so here we go. David was an Israelite, and the Israelites were at war. They're at war against a nation that is known as um, the Philistines. The Philistines, large nation, residing 20 to 30 miles straight west of, of where the Israelites were at. This is all in the country of Israel, what is now. Um, and the Philistines were constantly kind of pushing on the door, battling Israel, trying to take them and move them out and all of that. It was happening all the time. The Philistines worshipped all sorts of idols, um, false and fake gods, and they had been at war for a long time. Philistine army was bigger. They were more sophisticated. They had better weaponry. They were more organized. Uh, the Israelites were outnumbered, is the story that we have here. Well, the armies actually set up camp on these two adjacent hills with this massive valley in between, okay? And each morning, what would happen is that they would wake up and they would turn and face each other and they would just yell as loud as they could. It's something called a war cry. And they would, in a way, try to intimidate the other side. And every single morning, they would get up and they would do this. And for 40 days in a row, when we get to the point of David showing up, 40 days in a row, as that was happening, this giant of a man, this warrior, walks out in, in the valley and begins to personally taunt the entire army. He is, he is called a giant. We, we don't know exactly how tall he was. There's some arguments in, in, of what the scholars, but I would say most, most scholars put him somewhere between eight and 10 feet tall. Something is goofy. Something was in the water. We really don't know. And this is not just, most of the time you get like a nine foot guy in history and we're talking a really skinny guy who often doesn't live long because it's some, the story that we're told here with Goliath is this is a beast of a man, a warrior. Uh, in fact, he has 125 pounds of armor that he is wearing. And this massive spear, and the head of the spear is something, somewhere like 15 pounds alone. If you could imagine this man walking out and taunting Israel every day, and he would say, hey, I, 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 Choose any person on your side. Choose your best warrior. I don't care who it is. And we'll go at it one-on-one. -on -one. And the winner, like this is how we'll, we will decide who wins this entire war. You put your best against me. The losing side will serve the winning side. In, in fact, verse 11 sums up the situation super well. It says, on hearing the Philistines' words, that's the, the giant of a man, it says Saul, that's the king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They are scared out of their boots, absolutely terrified by this massive giant of a man. This happens for 40 days in a row. This guy, can you picture this guy standing out there shouting every morning, taunting the other army, uh, and this army is scared out of their minds. This is where David shows up in the story. See, David's three older brothers, David had seven older brothers. Three of them were in the army of Israel. Okay? And David's at home with his family about 20 miles east in Bethlehem where he grew up. And David's dad gives David a mission. 
And that, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? It gave him a mission, but his mission was actually fairly lame. It was, we want you to bring some bread and some grain and some cheese to your brothers and go find out how they're doing. All right? And so David leaves the sheep. This is what he does like all day long. He's a teenager here. He takes care of the sheep. He leaves the sheep, takes a sack of cheese and bread, and he sets out on his 20-mile journey straight west to where this army and stuff is happening. He, he, he kind of finds his way through this massive army of people, and he, he, and he gets to his brothers, and he says, hey, bros, what's going on? It's in there. And, and, and they're like, hey, nothing much. And just in this moment, in that exact moment when he shows up there, it's the morning, and Goliath walks out into the middle and starts doing his little thing. And everyone is afraid, and everything's happening the same as it has happened for 40 days. And David is there, and David watches all of this happen. He sees Goliath do his little thing. He's watching the army of Israel and how they are responding. And David sees all of this, and he turns to the people next to him, and he says something that kind of sounds funny to us, but this is verse 26. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he should defy the armies of the living God. Like uncircumcised, that, that you don't want to be called that. You don't, like, I'm, you do not want to be. Okay, if you have a kid in here right now, okay, tr- just take a moment and explain to them circumcision. And we'll wait. Okay, just go ahead. Are you done? Okay, all right. But like, like, like. Who does this guy think he is? We can't let him say this stuff. Somebody needs to do something. Can you picture this moment? Teenage scrawny kid with a big mouth surrounded by warriors. Picture, this is amazing. David's oldest brothers say like, oh, little brother, you're not a warrior. You're a shepherd. Like go back and play with your sheep and leave the army stuff to the soldiers. It's in the, he, he says that, uh, but, but word actually gets to King Saul that David had been talking like this. Saul sends, the king sends for David. David tells Saul, like, we can't let him push us around like this. I'll go fight him. Saul says, you can't fight him. You are a kid, and, and, this, and this guy's been a warrior his whole life. David says, I killed a bear and I killed a lion like taking care of my sheep. And then he says this great line. This is verse 37. Then we're going to bring this up later today too. Uh, He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go ahead. And the Lord be with you. Can you imagine like... And the Lord be with you. Moving quickly through the story, because I want to get to kind of where we're taking this today. David goes down to the river, and the story says he grabs five small stones, and he shows up to fight Goliath. Uh, He had tried on armor, and David said, I can't wear all this stuff. So he goes with no armor. He's up against an eight, ten-foot dude with 125 pounds of armor and a massive spear towering over him, David walks out with no armor, scrawny teenage kid, and he has five little rocks in a pouch. That's our story. Goliath can't believe this. He sees David walking out and he goes, like, what in the world is going on here? Are you kidding me? Is this a joke? 
What, what? And he said, why is there a little kid coming out to fight me? And actually, he, he says this. He says, what am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks? Like that's his phrasing that he has. And let me read to you what happens next. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Oh, it's nuts. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it like he had this little slingshot type of thing. He slung it and it struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the sheath, and after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. That's nuts right there. I don't know. And that is our story. Let's just pray and go home. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, talk about a David and Goliath situation. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's supernatural. It's faith-filled. And it's a bit crazy, isn't it? It really is. This is a crazy story. And here's the transition and really where we're going to take this today. All right? Listen to me. So many Christians so many Christians are just sort of struggling their way through this Christian life. Just sort, of, just sort of struggling their way, and victory is really not the word that we use to describe so many of us in the way that we are living and the way that we are serving God. In fact, defeated is probably a better word to describe many of us and many Christians in our culture. Defeated, constantly struggling, with the same stuff, the same temptations, the same destructive tendencies and habits and, and, and like unable to get free from sin and all of the, like living defeated lives in our minds, losing the battle. Like I need you to understand something here before we move on to the next part. We as Christians are not called to live defeated lives. That's not how it's supposed to work. That's not, it was never supposed to be like that or feel like that. God is on our side. We win. When you look at the Bible and you look, we, we win. A couple of verses, Ephesians chapter one, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. It lives in us. Second uh, Timothy chapter one, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and sound mind. Now, those sound like defeated scripture verses, the absolute opposite. Scripturally, listen to this, there's no excuse for a Christian to live defeated. There is zero excuse. There is not a valid excuse for Christians to live defeated. Christians being attacked, absolutely. Christians being persecuted, Absolutely. Christians facing difficult situations and circumstances, it will happen. I promise you that. And if your theology, in fact, tells you otherwise, then, we, then, then, you, have, then you are way off in this because we have missionaries in history and people in the Bible who have died and been beaten because of their faith in Jesus. But scripturally, there's no excuse for a Christian to, to live defeated. Difficulty is unavoidable, but defeat as a Christian, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable for Christians to live defeated lives. And what I want us to do is just, just to kind of talk through a few things that I believe can help us with this, that can keep us from living 
defeated lives, okay? Write this down. We're going to start with a statement um, that I think is helpful. Okay, here we go. Christians live defeated lives because of the lies they believe or the lifestyle they choose. Christians live defeated lives because of the lies they believe or the lifestyles they choose. Now, I'm not talking about being attacked. I'm not talking about going through difficult situations and difficult circumstances. I'm talking about living defeated, living defeated. As Christians, we live defeated like one of two things, one of two things, either because of the lies that we believe or because of the lifestyles that we choose. Now, let's talk about each of these quickly. We live defeated Christian lives when we believe the lies of the enemy, when we believe the lies. What does this look like? Well, the Bible says that as Christians, we have an enemy. You can, you can use the word Satan. You can use the word the devil. You can talk about demons. Biblically, all of these are real. They're not made up. They are real. And understand the number one battlefield for Satan against Christians is not in making us sick, and it's not in, in causing your car to die. It's not what it is. It is in your mind. The battleground of the enemy is in our mind, constantly, all the time, attempting to help you and teach you to believe things that are not true. That is what he is after. That is what he does. The enemy says to you, you are not good enough. Anyone ever had that go through your mind? You are not good enough. You are not skinny enough. You are not pretty enough. You, like, you do not matter. You do not have purpose. You're a terrible mom. You're a terrible dad. You aren't worth anything. Nobody cares about you. If you were gone, nobody would even notice. The devil puts these things in our minds all of the time. He knows your weakness. He knows what it is for you that when he puts it in your mind, it causes the greatest damage. It might be different for you than it is for me, but it's there. It's there. And Satan does this. Some of us, some of us just view this as, I just have low self-esteem. The reality is, as Christians, you have an enemy who is attacking your mind right there. Okay, those are the lies. They are not true. And Satan may say those things, but God, when you look at his very word, says opposite things about you. This is why we believe they are lies, because he says you are not good enough, okay? But God says you are called, you have purpose, you were fearfully and wonderfully made, you are loved, you matter, you are cared for, you are needed, you matter and you have a purpose. Do you hear the difference here? And we as Christians, we live defeated lives when we begin to believe the lies that, put, that, are, that are put in our mind over the truth of God's word. And Christians all around us in our church, outside of our church, are living defeated because we cannot get a handle on that. The end, we, we believe the lies of the enemy over the truth of God. In our, in our story today of David and Goliath, David had to ignore the negative voices. I don't know if you caught that. Like first, he shows up, he says, his older brother says, somebody needs, David says, someone needs to do something about this. We can't let him do this. We gotta check out verse number 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger. Can you picture this older brother is, is not just gently saying, you should go back, bro. He's, he's burning with anger burning with anger at David, 
and asks him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? He's like ripping on him here. To, like, you are, this, you're no good. I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David is truly feeling, feeling motivated by God in this story. That's why he stands up when other people don't. He's like, it's something special here. Somebody needs to do something. This is not okay. This man, this, this giant is defying God. This is, we can, and immediately a negative voice shows up in a situation and it's from a close personal family member. Someone who's supposed to be trusted. Somebody on the inside. Do you hear that? Dave, David like could have easily just, this story could have just ended right there. As, as David hears, David, you're a nothing. You don't deserve to be here. Go back home and play with your toys. You're just a kid with a big mouth. And David very easily, story could have ended with David walking away with his head down, walking all the way home. End of the story of David and David. Because there's no Goliath then in that story. Okay? Then later, then later in the story, King Saul, a negative voice, you're not able to go out against him and fight. You're a young man. He's been a war. The king himself, David, you can't do this. You're a kid. Go back home to your family. And still later, Goliath speaks directly to David. He says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Okay, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. You are nothing. You're not good enough. You don't deserve to be here. Like, and, and some of us here today, it, it, this is like I'm reading your mail right now, where, where you know that the battle, the battle that you face in your mind is winning, that, that you are losing this battle, and that you are believing the lies that are going through your head over the truth of who God created you to be fearfully and wonderfully made, beautiful, loved, purpose and all of that, okay? Living defeated because you're believing the lies that the enemy is putting in your mind. Listen, you don't have to live like that. You can be free. You can be free. It's possible to be free from that, and freedom begins when we start to replace the lies of the enemies with the truth of God's word. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You matter, and you can be free from that. Now, uh, in, the next, in the next month or two, we're going to spend a couple weeks very specifically on that topic right there. But for today, we're going to kind of move on from that. Because the second reason, second reason Christians live defeated lives is because of the lifestyle that they choose. All right? L let me just say, start by saying this. Sometimes the best way to win the battle is to never begin the battle. What do I mean by that? Very simply, I believe that in our culture, many Christians are facing giants that they really have no business facing. That we, we, we don't, we like giants that we are bringing on to ourselves, creating giants in our lives that has no business being there. Here's how I will explain this. So many Christians right now in our culture, and I see this all the time, all the time, the lifestyle question that they are asking as Christians is how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? Like, I know that this is wrong, 
And I know that I shouldn't do that, but I think I can actually get about right here and still be okay. And this is the way that as Christians, so many of us are living our lives. How close, we take these gray areas, these gray things, well, the Bible doesn't actually say this, the Bible doesn't, and we, as close as we can get to this right here without actually getting there. And we go to watch a movie, and we go to watch a TV show or something, what we don't think is, is this TV show honoring God? Is this movie right here bringing honor to God? No, we think, well, that looks funny. Or, I really want to see that one. I know it has a bunch of sex stuff with people who aren't married and horrendously vulgar language, but it really looks good. Not a whole lot of amens happening right here for me. Feeling kind of alone up here right now. This is hard, isn't it? And we do this with all sorts of things in our lives all the time. And let me just say this. If we find ourselves consistently playing around with all of these gray areas, you are setting yourself up to face giants in your lives that you were never supposed to face. And things that will, will bring you down and things that will defeat you because of the lifestyles that we are choosing to live. In my life, in my life, it is my desire to choose to be on the safe side of every gray area. That's where, that's where I want to be. And, and I don't want this to come across conceited or anything like that, so just please hear my heart in this. That's not my intent, but I, I am okay not watching the movies that everyone else is watching. I'm okay with that. I'm okay not watching the TV shows that everyone else is talking about. I'm okay not listening to the music that everyone else is listening to or going to the places that everyone else is going. Not because I'm a pastor. Don't, don't misunderstand this. Not because I'm a pastor. That actually has nothing to do with this. For me, the mission is too great and the stakes are too high and I understand just how easy it is for my mind to be molded by the content that I consume. And I will not, I will not create unnecessary giants in my life for me or for my family because of the lifestyle that I end up living. As I'm trying to get as close to the gray areas as I can without actually, like, like it's we, we kind of walk around on this fence of trying not to fall and we get as close to the fence as we can. For some of us in this place, get away from the fence. You're wondering why you keep falling off the fence. It's because you're walking on the stinking top of it. Come on. If you're living a defeated Christian life, then ask yourself, is this because I'm believing a lie or is this because of the lifestyle that I'm choosing? Because living a defeated life as a Christian really is unacceptable. Facing difficulty, unavoidable going through difficult, horrendous things in our lives as Christians, it's promised to us scripturally. But living defeated, defeated is a whole completely different thing. Now, music team, will you please come? I wanna close with kind of one final point because some of you don't like that I just yelled at you. One final point from our story, kind of taking this in a completely different direction today. 
Specifically, this right here is for some of us who feel like we're even in the middle of a battle right now, okay, of some sort. Listen, David stood up against a giant. He literally battled a giant warrior, but here's the key. David's focus was never on the giant. David's focus was always on his God. Let let me show you this. Just listen to David's attitude summed up in his response to King Saul. Remember how Saul, Saul like said, you can't do this. You're not good enough for this. You're just a kid. He's a warrior. David responds this way in verse 37. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Did you catch that? The Lord who rescued me. You know what he did not say? He didn't say, Saul, I think I can take him. I think I actually have what it takes to win this battle, Saul. I know I'm only four foot 11, 127 pounds, and I don't wanna work, but I think I could take him. That's not, that's not what this story is. This story is not about willpower. It's not about a cocky little kid who did something amazing. This is a, this is a story about a kid who believed so firmly in his God and that his God was going to show up that, that it literally changed things for him. The battle belongs, okay? David's focus wasn't on the giant. He understood something that went way beyond his years, and he understood something that the rest of the army, and that simply is that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord, okay? David isn't fighting Goliath because he thinks he can beat him, but because he thinks God can beat him. Why does this young shepherd know like what, what so many Christians seem to forget? The battle belongs to the Lord. He even, we even have this, verse, verse 47, all those gathered here will know. David says this. This is him speaking straight to Goliath at the very end of the story. All, those gath- all these gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. See, we get in the middle of a battle middle of all sorts of difficult stuff and that becomes our focus doesn't it it becomes all that we see it like our world now revolves around this thing right here and our eyes see nothing but that and we forget that the battle belongs to the lord the phrase david and goliath like it's used to describe a mismatch isn't it that's the way that we say it team usa against team russia Team USA is David, and they're not supposed to win. They're facing Goliath. That's Team Russia. But listen to this right here. The mismatch in our story today is not David versus Goliath like we typically think. The mismatch in this story is Goliath versus God. Do do you hear this? In this story, the underdog loses. The one who's supposed to lose loses because the underdog in this story is Goliath, not David. And if you're in the middle of a battle, like be reminded in this moment right now that you have God on your side. And it doesn't mean that everything is going to turn out the way that you want it to, the way that you expect it to, but understand like there is hope. There is peace in the midst of the storm. There is comfort as we know that God is there and that he is bigger than anything we could ever face. Please stand with me all over this place.
of us in this place, you know that, that you are living a defeated Christian life because you are having a hard time with the, the lies that the enemy is putting in your head. And if that's you, like just, just being honest about the whole situation, will you just kind of show me a hand? Yeah, yeah. You are not alone. This, this is something that hands up all over this place. This is something that in di- different seasons, all, all of us struggle with this at different times. Second, maybe you're here and, and you would just say, man, I feel like the lifestyle in a way that I'm living, maybe, maybe it's struggling with certain things that you just can't get past, or maybe it's just in a way living so close to the gray line that, that you are feeling that and you're saying, man, feel like God is kind of showing me that some things, some things in my lifestyle need to be different. Uh, if that's you, no one looking around here, just a private situation, but if that's you, will you just show me your hand? Show me your hand. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands in this place. Um, third, maybe you're in a situation now, maybe you're in a battle right now, and you are struggling to focus on God because you are so overwhelmed with your situation that your focus is right there all the time. If that's you, just show me your hand right now. Okay, let's just church. church. I'm just going to kind of pray. But as I pray, I, I, want, I want every person in this place to, in a way, kind of personalize this moment as God is speaking to different people in different ways on different things here today. So God, we just come to you right now with our hurt, with our troubles, with our issues, God with our insecurities, God. And first, we just pray for those who are who are believing the lies that the enemy is putting in our mind, that we're not good enough or we're not whatever enough, God, whatever that is. God, I pray that even in this moment right now, that the truth of who we are in you would come through, would be louder than all of the negative noise in our mind. God, let that be real. We were created on purpose for a purpose. And God, I pray that that would be a reality, that that would be believed, that that would replace, God, that stuff even in the name of Jesus right now. And God, I pray for some of us in this place who have responded saying, I, the lifestyle that I'm living is leading to me living a defeated life. God, we, I just pray for such clarity, for such help, God, that you would move in situations and that you would that you would teach us how to even get away from that stuff, God, and not to, not to face giants that we have no business facing, but God, that we would live free. So God, we just pray for that. God, we also pray for those here today who are facing a giant in, in, in their life right now, in a battle, in a storm, circumstances, situations in life, God, are making it difficult. Lord, I just pray that we would we would take our focus off of that stuff and that we would begin to focus on you and that, and that that would truly begin to change things in us. God, our situation may not even change, but if our perspective changes, like everything will change. So we just pray for that. We pray for every person who is dealing with that, Lord thing here before we go. We're almost done, but we always want to give someone an opportunity to respond to Jesus even for the
first time. So maybe you're here and you know that you're not right with God. You can feel that. Our sin has separated us from a perfect God. It's why he sent Jesus. You must, we must put our trust in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus in order to be saved. That's the word that scripture uses. You can be reconciled to God. You can be forgiven. There is grace and there is mercy when we in our sin go to God and say God I need that and if you're here today and you would say I want that today I want to make that decision today with no one looking around will you just put your hand up I just want to pray I just want to pray thank you thank you thank you anyone else anyone else online right now you can respond to all this as well respond to this church can we just say a prayer together feels like we say this every week but for someone here this could be this could be the moment for them and so God so let's just pray this together pray father God I give you my life thank you for sending Jesus to die for me forgive me of my sins and change my life in your name I pray amen come on can we celebrate that moment together God, I pray that as we walk out these doors today that we would live in victory. We may face junk. We may face circumstances and situations, God, but we know that you are bigger. You are greater. We will not live defeated lives, Jesus, because we have victory in you. Teach us that. Show us that. We need you so desperately. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Everybody said amen, amen.